Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh, and I want to thank you for joining me. I am glad to share this time with you today. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people, concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up at our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. I want to encourage you to subscribe uh, to the podcast so you can always get the next episode. So let's turn our attention to this week's message. Well, we all need reminders to watch out and be careful. And uh, if we can keep each other from getting hurt with a reminder, then that's a good thing. But sometimes warning labels, they just go too far. And often these days, a warning label must be placed on a product because someone actually did what the warning label is actually talking about. So here's a few weird warning labels for your entertainment. Uh, some of these you may have heard before. Um, I tried to do my best to verify because some of them just sound so strange, but uh, I got them from a couple of sources that uh, say these are genuine warning labels. So without any further ado, some strange and weird warning labels. Here's the warning. Do not drive, car, or operate heavy machinery. And this was found on children's cough medicine. One might wonder um, why children would be operating cars or heavy machinery, but uh, it's a warning label on that. Another warning label. Caution. The contents of this bottle should not be fed to fish. And that's on a bottle of shampoo for dogs. No idea why someone would try to feed that to fish. A uh, warning found on a hairdryer is do not use while sleeping. Okay. Uh, another one uh, found on an electric rotary tool. So an electric rotary tool, and here's the warning. This product is not intended to be used as a dental drill. Ouch, that would hurt. Uh, another warning sign is not intended for highway use. That was found on a 13-inch wheel for a wheelbarrow. I don't know who's using their wheelbarrows on the highway, but uh, we are now warned we shouldn't. Um, warning, do not use on eyes. And that was found in the manual for heated seat cushion. So um, don't know how that one works. Um, warning label said for indoor or outdoor use only. For indoor or outdoor use only. So that covers everything, and that's on a string of Christmas lights. So I'm not sure where you wouldn't use it then or what you couldn't use it in. Uh, warning. Uh, may contain nuts. That's always a good warning to see. It's very serious when people have nut allergies. However, this warning, may contain nuts, was on a package of uh, peanuts. Um Ah, uh, this one. Huh, my goodness, someone must have done this. I can't believe this. Eating rocks may lead to broken teeth. That's the warning. And that was found on a novelty rock garden set called Popcorn Rocks. So um, that was unfortunate. And um, yes, last but not least, the warning is may be harmful if swallowed. And what was that on? Maybe harmful if swallowed? It was found on a shipment of hammers because I someone tried to swallow a hammer. My goodness. Sometimes I wonder about the human race. We do need warnings and we do need cautions. We, do, we need to be careful. We need to help other people to not get hurt. Um, but my goodness, sometimes those warnings are a bit unbelievable. Now, here's another story about a warning system gone wrong. It's very serious, but it's a warning system gone wrong. 
during the 1982 war in the Falkland Islands between England and Argentina, the Royal Navy's 3,500-ton destroyer, the HMS Sheffield, was sunk by a single missile fired from an Argentine fighter jet. It caused some people to wonder if modern surface warships were obsolete, sitting ducks for today's sophisticated missiles, but a later check revealed that the Sheffield's defenses did pick up the incoming missile, and the ship's computer correctly identified it as a French-made exoset. But the computer was programmed to ignore these French missiles as friendly. The Sheffield was sunk by a missile it saw coming and could have evaded, but the warning was faulty. Faulty warning systems can be very deadly. It's very serious. But each of us have a faulty warning system built into us. It should work, but it doesn't. Because we have within us the sin nature, and that is part of a brokenness in humanity. We're all born with the sin nature, and it has messed up our radars when it comes to spotting incoming trouble. We each struggle with discerning sin and the dangers of this world. And so we're often drawn to sin instead of weary of its danger. God offers us a warning Hopefully, we'll circumnavigate your broken warning system. He offers us a warning in First John. He says, "Beware your fault. Beware of your faulty warning signal." And he actually tells us something unexpected. He says, "Do not love." That's a strange phrase to read. Do not love. God puts out a warning label because eternity is at stake. And so, as we read the text today, I want you to hear this: the Christian cannot give devotion to both the world and to God. Can't do it. So, God warns us, don't love the world. Divided devotion cannot lead to eternal life or real love. So, let's read our text today. It's from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It reads like this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So, we're going to look at this passage. I want to start with this, because it's a strange phrase. When you really think about it, we need to ask the question, why does it say, do not love? Those words, do not love, are an unexpectedly strong warning. They grab your attention if you really think about it. I mean, I kind of, most of us get, okay, I'm not supposed to like bad things. But for God to say, do not love, that's a very strong phrase. Most Christians know that they should avoid sin. Most people know they should avoid evil. But a command, this command, do not love the world, it's a bit sharp. God could have said it differently, but he knew we needed the warning do not love the world. I mean, he could have said, watch out for the world. God could have just said, be careful, be on guard, warning, this world is dangerous. And here's the thing. We would be tempted to teach to treat such a warning like this, like we do with those weird warning labels that we read earlier. The danger is we think, um, well, I'm smarter than those people that really messed up. I'm not going to eat the rocks. I'm not going to... Uh, put the seat warmer over my eyes. I'm not going to swallow a hammer. And so we say, I'm smart, I'm capable, and I know what I'm doing. And that sort of thinking, I'm smart, I'm capable, I know what I'm doing, that's often followed by an accident. 
Reality is that the human race is uh, not very good at pay atten- paying attention to warnings. <laughs> There's a funny story. I don't know if it's true or not. I think it is. Uh, it's just one line about a warning label on a laser in a physics laboratory. And the warning reads like this. Do not look into the laser beam with remaining eye. <laughs> because we often don't pay attention to warnings until it's too late. Ah. <sighs> Now, why didn't God just say, watch out, watch out for the world? Well, I think we don't heed those warnings very well. And when you say watch out, that often turns into fear. A lot of people, because they're supposed to watch out, they're afraid of what the world can do. And we are not to fear this world. Be cautious, yes, but don't fear it. God could have said, instead of watch out for the world, he could have said, hate this world. I've mentioned several times, I'll continue to mention it because we all struggle at it. We humans are not so good at expressing appropriate hate. More often than not, we hate the wrong things. And people, unfortunately, become the focus of hate. And that should never be. And how often have people used hate to justify bad behavior? In a moment of anger, you can do something very ugly and very cruel, and that shouldn't happen. So God does not command us to hate the world or to watch out for the world. He doesn't even say avoid the world, at least not here in 1 John. Avoiding the world, that's just, it's impossible. It's where we are meant to live. We're placed, we're all placed here right now. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, be in the world, but not of the world. And that's derived from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 14 through 16, where Jesus is speaking. And he says, I have given them your word. He's speaking about his disciples. I've given them your word, and the world hates them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So we're not to be of the world, but we are in the world. So we can't avoid it. And yet many Christians adopt the strategy of avoiding the world by building a second world. To live in. They build a wall around their family and their friends. This is often achieved by creating Christian movies and music and culture to live in instead of secular culture. And that's good to a point. Don't get me wrong. We need those alternatives. But no bubble, no wall that we can build can truly protect ourselves or our loved ones. Besides, we're not called to live in a Christian bubble. Building a bubble a wall, a walled in garden, a second world, if you will, is actually ultimately about what I can do and what you can do to defeat sin, but only Jesus defeats sin. Certainly you want to avoid sin, but eventually your life needs to be built not upon avoiding bad stuff and instead built on King Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that's exactly why we are commanded the way that God commands us to do not love the world. God is giving us a warning about where you place your love. You need to understand that love leads to allegiance. I'm not so sure allegiance um, and love can be separated. And if allegiance is a word that you have trouble meshing with love, maybe you've never thought of allegiance and love going together, perhaps the word devotion would be more appropriate. You know, we devote ourselves to that which we love. 
That's a very important thought. We devote ourselves to that which we love. Loving something or someone transforms your relationship with it. If you have someone that you're angry with or you're in conflict with or you're just having a hard time with, I challenge you, love them. You may or may not change them, but you will change your heart for them. You'll change your attitude towards them if you do loving things for them. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes these words, Do not waste your time on bothering about whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking them all the more. If you do them a good turn, you, you will find yourself disliking them less. So, if you have a relationship where you want to calm your feelings of anger or bitterness, the answer is to love them. Find ways to serve them. Speak well of them and stop yourself when you speak negatively about them. Pray for them. Real prayer for a person's well-being will not feed anger towards that person. So, we devote ourselves to that which we love. It's also true to say that whatever we love, we become devoted to. So, be careful of who you place your love in. Showing love, showing someone um, love might change them, but it will certainly change you. But God makes it clear that you cannot love the world and Him. Failing to choose who you love when it comes to the world or to God leaves us in a bad place. We've got to make that choice. There's a story about former President Ronald Reagan um, He once had an aunt who took him to a cobbler for a pair of new shoes. The cobbler asked young Reagan, do you want square toes or round toes? And he wasn't able to decide. So the cobbler gave him a few days. Several days later, the cobbler saw Reagan again on the street. And he asked him, what kind of toes do you want for your shoes? And Reagan still couldn't decide. So the shoemaker replied, well, come by in a couple of days and your shoes will be ready. When the future president of the United States showed up, I mean, he wasn't president yet, he was just a little boy, he found that the cobbler had made for him one shoe that was square-toed and one that was a round-toed shoe. That will teach you never to let people to make decisions for you, the cobbler said to his indecisive customer. And Reagan followed up years later saying, I learned right there and then, if you don't make your own decisions, someone else will. Hmm. We've got to decide will we love the world or will we love God. That's why he says, do not love the world. You can't do both. Doing both will put you in a place of trouble. Another little story, an aphorism. Uh, it may be true that there are two sides to every question, but it is also true that there are two sides to a sheet of flypaper, and it makes a big difference to which the fly to, to the fly which side he chooses. One side's good and one side isn't. And God is warning you and me to watch where we place our love. If we are not careful, we can make a deadly choice. Perhaps you've thought of another question as we've talked about of uh, not loving the world. Do not love the world. How do I avoid the world? It's the only place I live in. So maybe the question we need to look at is not do not love the world and why God says it that way, although it's important because we become devoted to that which we love. But perhaps we need to ask the question, what does God mean when he says world? Which world is he talking about? How do we know which world, uh, which, what he's exactly talking about? He just says do not love the world. It's, it's easier to say do not love the world than to actually do it. 
Especially, not least of which, because of the reason that God seems to care so much about the world. How can we not love the very world that God cares about? I mean, you have John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So, God loves the world, but for some reason we're not to? In John 3.16, we're told that God loves with a redemption sort of love, not a joining sort of love. There's a big difference there. It doesn't say that God so loved the world that he joined in with the world. It said that he loves the world so much that he sent his one and only son. He gave his one and only son for redemption. That's a big difference. Often I see a lot of people in the name of love, they are tempted to compromise God's standards. When you make that compromise, that's a joining sort of love. It's a misplaced devotion. We are never to stop loving those that need to hear about Jesus, and yet we are never to compromise God's standard about what is holy and good and for Him. Psalm 24 verse 12 tells us this about the world. It says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The world is God's. He made it. He owns it. It is His. So, how can you ask, how, how on earth do we not love something that belongs to God? So, that phrase, do not love the world, it's confusing. We're not to be devoted to the world. We're not to be have allegiance to the world. But the world is something that God has made. And it's where he has placed us to live. Sure, there's sin here, but there's also sunsets and summer days and chocolate and friendships and family and the creative arts and nature and so much more. There's a lot of good here to be enjoyed and loved. So, we need to dig into what is meant a little more by the word world. The Greek word for world is cosmos, which should not be a very foreign word to us as we refer to space or our galaxy as the cosmos. The cosmos has several understandings buried within it. Cosmos refers to that which is created by God, that which is owned by God, and both of those we've talked about already. And cosmos, cosmos also means the world apart from God or the world rejecting God. So we have texts like John 15, 18, 19 that say says this, if the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. That's Jesus speaking. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. William Barclay describes this sense of world as the human, human society organized by the wrong principles. Do not love the world doesn't mean uh, don't love God's creation, but it, instead it means Do not love the world which has forsaken God. Remember, love leads to devotion, and you cannot be devoted to both God and the world, at least not a world that is rejecting God. Now, in 1 John 2, 15 and 17, um, it doesn't tell us the do's and don'ts of not loving the world. It just says, don't do it. It It stresses how important this is, that it's completely incompatible to have love for the world and love for God. But there's a description in our text about how the world 
is and how it acts. And that helps us understand a little bit more of what's meant by do not love the world. So we find in verse 16, uh, three phrases, uh, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are three phrases that tell us what God means by do not love the world. And so just to look at them real quickly, lust of the flesh, uh, it's not just a sexual sin, um, but being ruled by desire and craving. Lust of the flesh is impulsive, and above all else, it puts you at the center in place of where God should be. And so, when you have lust of the flesh, you'll say things like, this will make me happy, and I need this, and this is who I am. We're put at the center of it. Lust of the flesh is when you allow yourself to be driven by desire and yourself instead of submitting to God. Lust of the eyes, uh, this is a person who desires whatever the eyes see. Perhaps another way to describe it is to be ruled by appearances. Happiness is found in what the eyes see and by, by pleasing others. I, it looks good to me. Lust of the eyes is obsessed with always putting on a happy face. It's obsessed with popularity. It's obsessed with likes in our social media age and avoiding the group's disapproval. And there's pride of life. That is, uh, living life on false credit, meaning you're taking credit for things you didn't do. And the reality is, is none of us have life apart from the gift of God. And so, as long as we are not acknowledging God's gift to us, we're suffering from the pride of life. But pride is such a dangerous thing. Pride says, I am... I've arrived, I've made it, I've done it myself, I don't need any help. It it says I'm on my own, and there's no place in our lives where we should say we are separate from needing God. Think of the ship, the Titanic. I know most of you have probably heard stories about the Titanic. What, what new can you hear? And Maybe this isn't new, but just a reminder. <sighs> Did you know the Titanic took... 12,000 men, two years to build. It's a big boat. When it set sail from Belfast, North Island, it was the largest sailing vessel ever made. It was also, of course, considered unsinkable. The captain of the ship even went on record as saying, even God himself cannot sink this ship. Famous last words, wouldn't you say? And that is, of course, because the ship, the Titanic, sank. Because that very same captain would not change course as they crashed into icebergs in the Atlantic. So many lives lost simply because of pride. Think of all the other ways that lives are lost or damaged because we are too proud to change our minds or our behaviors. Pride is a sneaky thing. Let me pose a simple question to you. and It's one worth asking and asking often. In your life, who do you trust more? Let's be honest, who do you trust more, yourself or God? Many of us say we trust God, but what we really mean is that we live life to the best of our abilities, and then we rely on God for the rest. But if you are really honest, I think more of us than we'd like to admit trust ourselves more than God. We trust our abilities, our our strengths, our uh, our. Um, Ability to go make things happen, make a dollar, work a job. Uh, we trust that more than we do God. When we do that, we're skirting on the edge of pride and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, 
Lust of the eyes, the pride of life, are products of this world. It is living with you at the center and the focus of life instead of God at the center and king of this world, your life. There's a text in the Bible, it's a classic one that describes this pride of life, this lust of flesh, this lust of eyes, this me at the center. It comes, we've read it many times before, we'll read it many times again because it's something we always struggle with. It's in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, and it says this, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. That's how so many people live these days. I'm just going to do what I think is best. We go, hey, that's fine. That's enough. That's If everybody's doing that, then we should be good. But that's not how we are to live. That is counter to what the Bible asks of us. The Bible says repeatedly, it's not what I think is best. It's putting God in the middle of my life. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, the first of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. Doesn't sound like, go ahead and put yourself at the center and then fit God in later. It is truly, you will have no other gods before me. In Joshua 24, verse 15, we hear these words, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, meaning God comes first. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, we read these words, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Can't do it. So, what's left for us? Well, there's the results. What happens if you do not love the world? Well, there'll be love for God. And there'll be everlasting life. <sighs> Do not love the world. Those words are easier said than done. But when they are done, they have results that bring life. John gives us a negative first. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. That's negative. We don't want that. That's why it's impossible to love the world and love the Father. You can't have love for both. Not truly. But if you want to increase your love for God, do not love the world. Remember, love leads to devotion. And that's what it says. It doesn't say the Father's love will increase for you. It says your love for the Father will be in you. Also, John makes it very clear that love for the world has no future. It will pass away. But obedience to God, that is, and I will say this is what obedience to God really is, is making Jesus your king and doing all that he says. It's obedience to him, submitting to him, letting him be Lord of your life. But obedience to God leads to eternal life. It leads to real love and it leads to eternal life. I want to read to you the words of Henry Nouwen. And he writes this, he says, Since I was very young, my life has been dominated by two strong voices. The first said, make it in the world and be sure you can do it on your own. The other voice said, whatever you do for the rest of your life, even if it's not very important, be sure to hold you hold on to the love of Jesus. My father is a little bit more inclined to say the first and my mother the second. But the voices were strong. Make your mark. 
Be able to show the world you can do it by yourself and that you're not afraid. Go as far as you want to go and be a man. Be a good old son, good older son and brother, and be sure you really do something relevant. And the other said, don't lose touch with Jesus. Choose a very humble and simple way. Jesus, by his life and death, will be your example for living. Henry Nouwen continues, I've struggled because one of the voices seemed to be asking me for upward mobility and the other for downward mobility, and I was never sure how to do both at the same time. Mm, How often we all struggle with that. One voice looks like progress and one looks like falling behind. Hard to know which one we should really do and how to balance them. You and I must daily decide to love God and reject the world. It's not easy. Sometimes rejecting the world is going to feel like losing, but this world never keeps eternity in mind. The only way to have eternity in mind is to be following God. Will you choose this day to pay attention to God's warning? Do not love the world. Instead, love God. Let's pray. Lord, I confess it is easy to ignore your warnings and instead to find ourselves loving this world. Help us to be a people who thrive in your creation, who enjoy the work of your hands, who join in your creative work by working and making and doing wonderful things in this world. And yet let all that we do be for your honor and glory. Reveal to each one of us the ways that we try to be in charge, the pride that we may have, the ways we glory in ourselves. Help us to daily submit to Jesus as our King. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.